The Alan Watts iPhone app is now available on the iTunes App Store, featuring the entire Alan Watts podcast series at your fingertips. Visit alanwattsapp.com for more information. Just in such a way, the human is illustrated, and so too in uh, some kinds of rather degraded medicine that is now practiced. When you go to the hospital for a medical examination, you are treated as a machine. They process you. You are not a person. You are put in a wheelchair immediately. Even if you are perfectly healthy and can walk, nevertheless they have to have you in this wheelchair. And they put you through a process. And the heart specialist looks only at your heart because he can't understand anything else. The otorhinolaryngologist, which means an ear, nose, and throat man, looks at that section of you and he doesn't know about anything else. And maybe a psychiatrist takes a look at you and uh, goodness knows what happens there. And so on and so on. Everybody looks at you from their specialized point of view as if they were a bunch of mechanics examining your automobile. Because, as I said last night, we, we just asked for this. Because most of us consider ourselves as chauffeurs inside our bodies, which we own in the same way as you own a car. And when it goes wrong, you take it to the mechanic to fix it. You don't really identify with your body, just as you don't really identify with your car. So here is this whole theory of nature, which has grown up in the West as an artifact. Something made. Now let me take a second theory of nature. This is an Indian theory. East Indian. Nature not as an artifact but as drama. Basic to all Hindu thought is the idea that the world is maya. That is a Sanskrit word which means many things. It means magic. Illusion, art, play. All the world's a stage. And in the Hindu idea, there is the ultimate reality of the universe, is the self, which they call Brahman, or Atman. That's what there is. The self, universal, eternal, boundless, indescribable. And everything that happens, happens on the self. Like you say, it's on me. The drinks tonight are on me. Uh, or like we say, uh, when you hear the radio, it's on the speaker. You see, everything you hear on the radio, flutes, drums, human voices, traffic noises, any imaginable sound, all those sounds are vibrations of the diaphragm in the speaker. But the radio doesn't tell you that. The announcer doesn't come on and say every morning, Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is KQED. The following sounds that you are going to hear are vibrations of your, the diaphragm in your speaker. And they're not really uh, human voices or musical instruments, but just that. They never let you in on that. And in exactly the same way, the universe doesn't let you in on the truth that all sense experiences 
are vibrations of the self. Not just yourself, but the self. And all of us share this self in common because it is pretending to be all of us. Brahman, the ultimate principle, plays hide-and-seek eternally. And he does it for unspeakably long periods of time. The Hindus measure time in what is called a kalpa. K-A-L-P-A. That's 4,320,000 years. Don't take this seriously. It's not meant to be taken literally. But just for an unspeakably long time, the Brahman, the self, pretends that it's lost. And is us. And all our adventures and all our troubles and all our agonies and tragedies, it gets mixed up in them. Then after the period of 4,320,000 years has elapsed, there is a catastrophe. The universe is destroyed in fire. And after that, the Brahman wakes up and says, well, good, crazy, what, a, what an adventure that was. He wipes the sweat off his brow and says, let's rest a while. So for another 4,320,000 years, the divine self rests and knows who it is. It's me. Then it says, well, this is rather boring. Let's get going again. Let's get mixed up. And it does it in a very strange way because uh, the way the Hindus time it, the first period of getting mixed up, getting lost, is beautiful. That's the longest period. Everything's right. It's just life is glorious. Then it has the next period in which things get a little wonky. Something is vaguely out of order. That doesn't last so long. Then the next period, the third, is when good and evil are equally balanced. And that's still not so long. Finally comes the shortest period when everything bad triumphs. And the whole thing blows up and we begin all over again. We're supposed to be living in that now. It's what's called the Kali Yuga. The age of darkness. And it began on Friday, February the 23rd, 3,123 B.C. And it has 5,000 years to run. But as it goes on, time gets faster, so don't worry. <laughs> so you see, that's a theory of nature as a drama. It's a play. Now, there's a third theory of nature, which is Chinese. And this is very interesting. The Chinese word for nature, they call ziran. And this expression means, of itself, so. What happens of itself. Or we might say spontaneity. It almost means automatic, because automatic is what is self-moving. Only, we associate the word automatic with machinery. But Ziran, what is of so of itself, is associated in the Chinese mind not with machinery, but with biology. Your hair grows by itself. You don't have to think how to grow it. 
Your heart beats by itself. You don't have to make up your mind how to beat it. That's what they mean by nature. The poem says, sitting quietly, doing nothing, spring comes and grass grows of itself. So, their principle of nature is called a Tao. T-A-O, pronounced Tao in the Mandarin dialect, Tao in the Shanghai dialect, To in the Cantonese dialect. Take your choice. Tao means the course of nature. And Lao Tzu, who was a philosopher who lived a little later than 400 B.C., wrote a book about the Tao. And he said, the Tao which can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. You can't describe it. He said the principle of the Tao is spontaneity. He said the great Tao flows everywhere, both to the left and to the right. It loves and nourishes all things, but does not lord it over them. It accomplishes merits and lays no claim to them. So, there is a very great difference between the Chinese idea of Tao as the informing principle of nature and the Judeo-Christian idea of God as nature's Lord and Master. Because the Tao does not act as a boss. In the Chinese philosophy of nature, nature has no boss. There is no principle that forces things to behave the way they do. It is a completely democratic theory of nature. Correspondingly, you see, most Westerners, whether they be Christians or non-Christians, don't trust nature. Of all things, nature is the thing least to be trusted. You must manage it. You must watch out for it. It will always go wrong if you don't watch out. You know, the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. So we're always feeling that you, you can't trust it. See, we're absolutely instilled with the idea of original sin. You can't trust nature because it comes out with weeds and insects. And above all, you can't trust human nature. Because if you don't hold a club over yourself, you'll go out and rape your grandmother. Now the Chinese would say, if you can't trust yourself, you can't trust anything. Because if you can't trust yourself, can you trust your mistrust of yourself? Is that well founded? See? You're, if you can't trust yourself, you are totally mixed up. You haven't a leg to stand on, you haven't a point of departure for anything. And in this respect, the, the Taoist philosophy and the Confucian philosophy are in agreement. In Confucius philosophy, the fundamental virtue of a human being is called Yang spelled J-E-N, for reasons best known to Chinese scholars. 
uh, I don't know what they are, but it's pronounced Ram. And it's a character, Chinese character, that Confucius placed as the highest of all virtues, higher than righteousness, higher than benevolence, and it means approximately human-heartedness. Now, Confucius once said that goody-goodies are the thieves of virtue. Virtue in Chinese is the. We Romanize it as T-E-H. De. And it means virtue not in the sense of moral propriety, but virtue in the sense of magic, as when we speak of the healing virtues of a certain plant. A man of true virtue is therefore a human-hearted man. And the meaning of this is that one should, above all, trust human nature in the full recognition that it's both good and bad, that it's both loving and selfish. Now, let me give an illustration of the wisdom of this. When people fight wars, uh, I trust them if the reason for which they fight a war is to expropriate somebody else's possessions and women. Because they will fight a merciful war. They will not destroy the possessions and the women that they want to capture. They want to enjoy them. And that's a war based on simple, ordinary, everyday human greed. The most awful wars that are waged are the wars waged for moral principles. You are a lousy communist. You have a philosophy that is destructive to religion and to everything that we love and value and reverence and therefore we will exterminate you to the last man unless you surrender unconditionally. Such wars are ruthless beyond belief. We can blow up whole cities, wipe people out because we are not greedy. We are righteous. That is why the goody-goodies are the thieves of virtue. If you are going to do something evil, do it for a plain, honest, selfish motive. Don't do it in the name of God. Because if you do, it turns you into a monster who is no longer human. to Alan Watts from the Spoken Word Library of the Electronic University. For copies of this and other Alan Watts programs, please go to alanwatts.com on the World Wide Web.
or call us toll-free at 1-800-W-O-WATTS. That's A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T-S dot com or 1-800-W-O-W-A-T-T-S. The Watts website features free audio downloads, program lists, and information on Watts' life and works. Once again, that's alanwatts.com or 1-800-W-O-WATTS.